All right, I'm turning this morning again to the book of Philemon, the book of Philemon, and we'll be looking this morning at verses 8 through 15, the book of Philemon, verses 8 through 15. Um, Our subject will be found this morning really in the text that is uh, found in verses 10 and 11 of this uh, very short, very brief epistle of the Apostle Paul. But I do want to begin reading there in verse 8, and we'll read down through the verse in which we intend to expound this morning. Philemon verse 8, the Bible says, Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ, to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again that sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be, as it were, of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Our subject this morning is that expression, a beautiful expression there, regarding Onesimus. Unprofitable, but now profitable unprofitable, but now profitable. It was the power of God's gospel of grace that made an unprofitable man now profitable. Of course, we're not talking about profit in the sense of financial profits. We're not talking about prosperity in that sense. But we are talking about a man who goes from being an unprofitable servant to now a profitable servant of the Lord. You remember Philemon's story. Philemon was the owner of Onesimus, and Onesimus had stolen from Philemon, and he had run from him. And in God's divine providence, Onesimus just happens to run into the presence of the Apostle Paul, uh, not by accident, accident, I would add. He is then under the preaching of the Apostle Paul, because Apostle, the Apostle Paul's uh, normal course of action was anyone who sat anywhere near him was going to hear the gospel. Paul did not allow time to pass where he did not speak and preach the gospel. And yet we see that the beauty of this passage, among many other things, is not only what Paul's tenderness towards Onesimus was, but the plea that Paul had towards Philemon. Now, this is known as Paul's shortest epistle, but I would suggest to you this morning that this passage, this book, might be packed with just as much gospel truth as we might find in the book of Romans. There's not as much doctrine there, certainly, but gospel truth and the evidences of gospel truth are no doubt on every uh, verse. And so we understand here that it's worth noting, and I don't know if I mentioned this last week, that the name Onesimus means profitable. But you realize that Onesimus was one time unprofitable, 
And now we see because of the power of the gospel, Onesimus now is living up to his namesake. Uh, it certainly would be said that a thief, a man who stole from his servant or from his master, was certainly an unprofitable servant. The servant Philemon had every reason in the world to uh, prosecute Onesimus. He had every reason uh, to bring him back and to not accept him back in a good way. But rather, we see that Onesimus, this servant of Philemon, guilty of stealing his master's goods, he finds himself where the gospel's being preached. Onesimus, we see in the text, no doubt by Paul's words, show us that he was a converted man. He became a profitable servant. He became a man who was now of great worth. Not financial worth, but spiritual worth. But Onesimus was also manifesting the evidence of grace. He was manifesting his goodness and he's manifesting the reality that the gospel had indeed changed him. How do we know that? Because the apostle Paul is pleading with Philemon saying, we know this man stole from you. We know this man is guilty of what he said and what he's done rather, but I'm pleading, I'm begging with you, I'm entreating you, I'm beseeching you, I'm admonishing you, receive him back. Not just as a reconciled individual, but as a beloved brother. We spoke a lot last week about the responsibility that we have of forgiveness. And we saw that how Paul, in our context here, is now sending him back. But I want you to notice some things this morning that I think are very, very powerful in the way Paul handled this. Now, last week we examined those first seven verses or first seven or eight verses there uh, that reminded us that Paul appealed to Philemon's love. He acknowledged that Philemon was a brother in Christ and that he was appealing to his brotherhood of Christianity. But he also acknowledged Philemon's faith. Now, that was the two greatest evidences that Philemon was a converted man because Paul appealed and acknowledged both of those things. But imagine what Philemon's being asked to do. I want you to receive a man who was once a thief and a fugitive. And I think I made the application last week. Imagine being asked to house in your own personal home a man who had been a thief and had been a fugitive. But he had been converted by the gospel. Would we actually take that individual in? Would we actually consider or we, would we hold his past offenses and his past crimes against him? Philemon is being asked to take in a known criminal, a known fugitive. Now Paul is pleading with Philemon to receive him into his favor. He's not asking him just to take him back. He's asking him to receive him there's a great difference between receiving and allowing someone to enter into. Paul is appealing here in a very uh, diligent and a very direct way. Verses 8 and 9, what we do see about Paul's plea, that the plea of Paul to Philemon was not an apostolic command. Paul's plea to Philemon was not an apostolic command. Notice again verse number 8. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient. 
uh, Paul is stating here, I could, as an apostle of Jesus Christ and a minister of the gospel, use my authority here. And I could command you, Philemon, I could command you to receive him, forgive him, and be reconciled to him. The Apostle Paul, as an, as an apostle and the authority that came with that office, had the authority to demand and enforce that. Paul says, I'm not going to do that. I am not going to use my apostolic authority. I am going to plead with you. And he gives very direct and very important reasons as to what he is using as his main motivation. And we'll look at that in just a moment. Believers, we are, we are commanded to love one another. We're commanded not only to love one another, but we are commanded to be reconciled to each other. Love and reconciliation are not options. Christians do not have the, the, the privilege or the right to say, I refuse to love another brother. I refuse to love another sister, and I refuse to be reconciled to them. We have a command of God to love one another and to be reconciled to one another. That is part of the gospel. Now, it's not the saving part of the gospel per se, but it is the evidence of God's grace. If you today stand here and say, I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but I do not love other brothers and sisters, and I have no desire to be reconciled to other brothers and sisters. It is safe to say you've never truly been converted by the gospel of God's free grace. Now, you can convince yourself all you want. You can say, yes, I am. I prayed. I trusted Christ. But if you don't have love for the brethren, the epistles of John actually teach us that if you do not have love for one another, you have not passed from this life into eternal life. Paul is not, he is not manipulating Philemon. He's not using his authority and making him do something that he could make him do. But we are called to love, to be reconciled, and to forgive one another. Now it's upon this foundation, the Apostle Paul could have commanded him to do what's right. Now Paul could have referenced the book of Luke and he could have given him Luke 17, and he could have put this in his letter. He could have said, according to Luke 17, Mr. Philemon, you have an obligation under the scriptural authority that's found in Luke 17, verses 1 through 4, when our Lord was speaking to his disciples, and he gives a very practical application, but also a very doctrinally sound, short dissertation. Then said he unto the disciples, verse 1, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. Please note that. It is impossible, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. The Apostle Paul could have done two things. He could have said, by my apostolic authority and by the teaching in Scripture of Luke 17, 1 through 4, I command you, Philemon, to obey. That's not what Paul does. 
Paul appeals to something, I will tell you, he appeals to something that is critical for us to understand. Yes, apostolic authority should have been acknowledged and should be acknowledged. Yes, the scriptures are our sole authority for faith and practice. But Paul has got some other motive here. And this motive is the motive that ought to be the motive of our heart. Look what he says in verse 9. For love's sake. For love's sake. That's a completely different motivation. Now, there is, of course, the love of doctrine. There is the love of the Word. There's the love of the authority that God gives us. But he said, yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee. The word beseech is a strong admonition, but it is not corrective. It is not a rebuking admonition. It is an admonition that is given on the basis of love. For love's sake. Folks, that is the true and the proper biblical motivation for all the good works that we do. I've said it many times, and I'm not saying anything you don't already know. We can be very, quote-unquote, sound in our doctrine and very polished in our doctrine, and yet do not do things for love's sake. It happens so easily. That reading in Isaiah 2, I know the context is different, but you realize how many times Isaiah talked about the proud man and the haughtiness of man, and that how God will bring that down. It is pride and haughtiness that leads an individual not to love another brother, not to be reconciled to another, and to not forgive them. It's the pride of ourselves and the haughtiness of our own view of ourselves that puts us where, say, I won't love, I won't be reconciled, and I won't forgive. Yet Paul says it's for love's sake. That is the proper motivation. In the second letter to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15, uh, Paul says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again, Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now, henceforth, know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, notice, if you are in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. These evidences are going to be there. This is not an option. This is not something we choose to say, is this really for my instruction or is this for my choosing? This is a command of God that these are the things that should be so. Also, we see a similar directive given by the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Peter, really in the midst of what seems to be an out-of-context he, he suddenly mentions this when he's talking about the end of all things at hand. And only as the master of the Scriptures uh, would we see the Lord works in this way. But verses 1 through 7, he's talking about how things and the suffering of time and how, how don't think it's strange that people are not running with you, that there's an excess of riot, there's a speaking of evil. And then he says in verse 8 of 1 Peter 4, "...and above all things..." Have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity 
shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Charity is also the word for love. That should characterize the relationship between believers is love. That's why Paul is writing to Philemon in the way he is. He's writing to Philemon as a brother in Christ. He's asking and beseeching Philemon for the sake of God's love for us. Remember what God has done for us before the foundation of the world. He chose us. He's redeemed us. He's called us. And one day we are going to be glorified. We do it for the love's sake of God, for the sake of God's love for us, but we also do it for the sake of the love which we have for Him. Herein is love, not that we loved Him first, but that He loved us first. We are returning what God has done for us. But then I believe it also refers to the sake of the love that Paul had for Philemon and the love that Philemon had for Paul. These two men had a Christ-like love for one another. They had a love and a bound, a bond between them that was because of their common faith and because of the common grace that we are brothers in Christ. Now Paul had mentioned his office in verse number 8 when he says that I might be bold. But then notice what he the difference he takes here at the end of verse 9, he says, I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Uh, it, it, it's, it seems humorous, but I don't think it's meant to be humorous. But Paul calls himself the aged. Now one commentator said, since there was a possibility that Timothy had a hand in writing this letter along with Paul, that that might have been Timothy calling him Paul the age, but I think it's Paul referring to himself. He says, I beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged, uh, there is this reference to his age, and he repeats the fact that, again, he is a prisoner for the sake of the gospel. So this advice he's giving Philemon to receive Onesimus comes from an apostle, yes, but it also comes from a man who has considerable wisdom. A man who has seen the Lord and has been around the Lord for a number of years. You know, one of the warnings in Scripture about calling a man to the office of pastor or elder too soon is that he should not be a novice. Because the, the problem is he will be lifted up in pride. Listen, one of the things that is quickly, this might be a side, one of the things that quickly losing, we're losing in our church generations with this, this church movement that the church is supposed to be always young and vibrant and always having exciting things going on, they're pushing out the aged and the wisdom of people who have watched God do things for decades, thinking, we know more. Listen, now just because you're aged doesn't mean that you're wise in the things of God. But I'm telling you, it's happening where men are taking counsel from young men and they're thinking, we know how to do this. We know what we're doing. And you have watched the decline of the church. As that's happened, the decline of the church has followed right along with it. When we've decided the younger are the wisest. Listen, Paul is referencing this again. He's not manipulating Philemon, but he is acknowledging a great truth that there is wisdom and there is experience 
How would we receive a letter from the Apostle Paul, the age, who had been through the things he had been through, would call himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ and said, I counted a joy to suffer. I counted a joy to be in prison. Are we not going to sit up and listen to that man? I'm going to sit up and listen to a man who has had the experience of God and has watched God move and says, I'm willing to be in prison for the cause of the gospel rather than some seminary graduate who says, I know all this. This is real life Christian experience. That's why I said Philemon, this letter is not as doctrinally deep as Romans and maybe even as Ephesians, but the practical application of what the gospel of grace does is so prevalent here, but it's also filled with wisdom. Philemon would acknowledge that himself, that to receive a letter from the Apostle Paul, not as an apostle, but to receive it as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That's really what's at the heart here. So we see that the plea of Paul to Philemon was not an apostolic command. Verses 10 and 11, we see that the plea of Paul to Philemon displayed Christ-like affection. It displayed Christ-like affection. Look what Paul says goes on further. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus. Paul was not the physical earthly father of Onesimus, just like he was not the earthly father of Timothy. But who did Paul call a son? Timothy. Who is Paul calling a son here? Onesimus. A once unprofitable servant, but now profitable. He says, I call him my son. Remember that fugitive I asked if you would take into your own home, that one who had been convicted of the crime of theft, and now they were a fugitive, but yet they're converted? Would you accept them and receive them into your home as a beloved brother? Let me challenge us even more. Would we receive them and accept them into this church body? Or would we say, certainly not. They were once a thief. They were once a fugitive. They were an unprofitable servant. And so were you and you and you and you and you and you and me. To have the idea that you, because we did not steal or that we did not, were not a fugitive, that we somehow were not an unprofitable servant is foolishness. Because it's only by the grace of God that we can even be called a profitable servant of God. Again, this will challenge you right to the very heart of your Christianity. Philemon will put, will put this in front of you so boldly that it will make you sit back and say, wait a minute, do I have the heart of Paul? And do I have the attitude of Philemon? Or are we always holding people's past against them, saying, I know what you once were. You think Paul knew what that was? Everywhere Paul went, some of the disciples of Christ were scared to death of Paul because they said, we know who you are. You're Saul. You were there when Stephen was stoned and you did nothing about it. As a matter of fact, you were holding the cloaks. Paul knew what it was to appeal on the basis of a fugitive. But you'll notice here that Onesimus was called his son not only out of an affection for him, but primarily out of Paul's love for Christ. Let's make sure we get that right. What comes first in Paul is Paul's love for Christ is what led him to have an affection and a love for Onesimus, his son. It is always our love for Christ that is going to direct what we do 
towards others. It's not loving others first and then loving Christ. It's loving Christ first. And as you love Christ as you and I should, then we'll love others as we should. If we're struggling loving others and being reconciled and forgiving, the problem is we're not loving Christ as we should. That's where the problem, that's the heart of the matter. Well, I can't love them because, well, you know. You know what they did. Yeah, I know what I did. I know what I still do. If you knew every thought that went through this mind, if I knew every thought that went through your mind, we would repulse one another. The, some of the facts and the things that still go through this heart and mind of ours, and yet we're prideful enough to say, I'm not going to forgive that person. I'm not going to be reconciled to them. That's not a problem with them. It's a problem with you. It's a problem with me. It's a problem with my love for Christ. Our lack of forgiveness is not the person that, we're, that offended us. It's our problem. Now we understand here that Onesimus, of course, Paul was referring to Onesimus as his spiritual son and Paul was calling him his spiritual father. Paul was bound, but as he told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verses 9 and 10, he says, and paraphrasing here, he says, I am bound and I am in change. He said, but the word of God is never bound. Christ's word, the word of God is not bound by chains. Onesimus was born again. He was converted by the word of God being preached by Paul while he was in prison. So he was dear unto him. But what was the driving motivation behind Paul's love for Onesimus and his affection was Paul's love personally for Christ. Look at verse 11, which in time past. That simply means what he was. I hope we all know that before Christ what we once were. I hope we don't dwell on it, but I hope we never forget it. It does us no good to dwell on our sinful past. It does us no good to stand up in every church meeting and testify about how bad you used to be. We already know that. We already know how bad we were. We were unprofitable, worthless, without value. But through the grace of God, we have now been made profitable. I heard a wonderful definition of grace this morning. And I, you know, we can claim, well, we've heard them all. You know, God's riches at Christ's expense, yada, yada, yada. We've heard all the good ones. And he just simply said, he said, you know what grace is? It's God reaching down and touching the untouchable. And it was a reference to how the leper, you didn't touch the leper. But guess who did touch the lepers? Jesus Christ did. Folks, that's what grace is. We were untouchable. And yet Christ, even in our sin, reached out and saved us. This is Paul's motivation. Paul says, which in time past was to thee. Now notice he's acknowledging to Philemon. Philemon, he was an unprofitable servant but now profitable to thee, and I love this, and to me. Not only was he unprofitable before, but now he is a profit to you and to me. We know that the Bible teaches us that all men are unprofitable to God. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. There is none that seeks after God. There is none righteous, no, not one. But 
We need to be reminded, Romans 3.12 says, they are all gone out of the way. They are together become, what? Unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. You are not saved by God's grace because you had a desire to do good. You are saved in spite of that. You were made profitable from an unprofitable state. Now we have a regenerated, redeemed, ex-unprofitable servant. Paul wrote to Timothy about godliness being great gain. Now Paul is is pleading with Philemon to understand he is now a good servant. He is now a, a, would be a help in the gospel ministry. Philemon, we saw last week, uh, was a fellow brother, a fellow laborer in the gospel ministry with Paul. And now Paul is writing back and saying, this man Onesimus, this former thief, this former fugitive, is going to be a profitable example, a fellow laborer in the truth, and you ought to treat him like a beloved brother. So we see that Paul displayed a Christ-like affection, not just for Christ himself, but for Philemon and also for Onesimus. And then third heading today, verses 12 through 15, the plea of Paul to Philemon was a call to receive Onesimus in humility. Humility. How desperately we need to learn Humility. And if you say today, I've already learned that, you're you're giving an example of why we need to learn humility. Because if you think you have it, you don't. If you say you have it, you don't. If you broadcast it, I'm the most humble servant there's ever been, you're probably the furthest away from humbleness. You don't broadcast your humility. You don't show evidences of it so other people can see it. It's the way you live your life. If we do work in the things of God to be seen of men, we lack humility. If you're broadcasting yourself constantly about what you do in the Lord's work, you lack humility. It's not about broadcasting your value. It's not about broadcasting what you do. It's the reality of that Christ's goodness that's been demonstrated towards you ought to humble us. Because of that, we are a new creation. We are a new creature. We were once unprofitable, and now we are profitable. And don't ever begin to even think that you're profitable because of something that you did or because of what you are. There is nobody who's been saved who was better than the next. You and I are just as guilty as Onesimus was. I never stole anything. I wasn't a fugitive. We've all come short of the glory of God. It's man that likes to invent his own ways and his own traditions and says, this is really bad. This isn't so bad. No, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Dead, dead, dead. Not partially breathing. Not a little bit alive. Not knocked out. Not asleep. Dead in your trespasses and sins. And it's only by God's grace that you were raised from the dead. You had nothing to do with it. So we see Paul says in verse 12, he says, whom I have sent again. He's reminding him, I'm sorry, he's on his way back to you. 
Notice Paul's not asking, can I send him? He said, he's already coming. (laughs) He said, when I have sent him again, thou therefore receive him. That is my own bowels. Or to receive him with the intense love. The deepest part of of your soul, receive him. Don't be reluctant. Don't be suspicious. But Paul is stating this, receive him back as if it was me coming. Think about that for a minute. He wouldn't think about turning away the Apostle Paul, but Philemon might just have an inclination to turn away an ex-fugitive. He said, treat it as if I'm coming. Paul goes on, and this is what an impact that the conversion of Onesimus was. Paul says, whom I would have retained with me. Paul says, this man is of such great spiritual value now, I would keep him with me. Remember the story of Mark when Paul had to cast him out and said he's unprofitable? Well, guess what happened later when Mark was brought to repentance? Paul then starts to broadcast others, Mark is a profitable servant. You don't see Paul holding a grudge against Mark, saying, Mark, you know what you did to me that time? No, he received him in again. But Paul makes a very important distinction here. He says, Whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel, but without that thy mind. Now what Paul was saying here is saying, without your permission... This is, a, this, is a pretty, this is a pretty instructive portion of Scripture here. He's telling him to receive him back. Don't be reluctant. Don't be suspicious. Treat him as if you're receiving the very, my very person. He says, I would have kept him here with me to minister, but I would never do such a thing without consulting you and having your permission first. Why? Because he's your servant. Paul's acknowledging Philemon was the the owner of Onesimus. Now again, sometimes we get this really messed up and we think about the horrible period of time in this country of slavery. That's not what was happening. Many servants were servants by their own volition, by their own will. They voluntarily went and there there was a master requirements of what the master had to do and what the servant had to do. But Paul says this man, Onesimus, belongs to you. Not in a vicious, cruel, American slavery way, which is a horrible part of our history. Nothing good about it. Horrible. But Paul says, Paul says, he is under your authority. I would never, ever, ever keep him against your permission. There's a really a deep truth there. I hope the Spirit brings this all out to us. Because it really is important to what's happening. And this, this fills in a lot of gaps about a lot of things that happen in our Christian lives. Paul acknowledges the reality of who this man was. He said, but without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. It was up to Philemon as to what he would do. Now, Philemon did did have the option to say, 
I'm releasing him. I'm going to send him back to you. A master could do that. But Paul said, I'm not keeping him against your will. I'm sending him back. And if you choose to return him to me, then Philemon could have done that. Paul said, I would not, I do nothing. Would I do nothing? And then verse 15 is pretty interesting too. We'll cover that in a minute. But really this verse 12 through 14 shows us a couple things. Number one, it shows us the great humility of Paul. Paul, as an authoritative apostle, says, I am going to submit to your authority in this matter, Philemon. You know, every single one of us are people under authority. I don't care what you're the head of. You're under authority. So to rebel against authority is to rebel against God. We may not like the authority, but we're all men and women under authority. Paul humbly says, remember, he doesn't use his apostolic authority to command him, and yet humbly he says, I am going to submit, Philemon, to your directions in this. We should also understand not only the, the humility of Paul, but also what, how you and I should live towards one another. This should not be, the, the Christian life is not a, uh, a matter of pressuring and compelling people to do what we want them to do. It's not about forcing people to do what we think they should do. It's not even our job to manipulate people to say, you know, if you're this, you will do this. Listen, everything we do, it ought to be by the love of Christ constraining us. I cannot make the love of Christ constrain you. There are churches that operate under fear. There are churches that operate under all sorts of different motivation. The love of Christ constrains us or we're not constrained at all. But I shouldn't, as your brother in Christ, pressure you to do just because I told you to do it. It's of no spiritual value. Everything you do for the Lord ought to be willing and voluntary. Right? Now, I might have an opinion... I might say, you know, you really should be more involved in the Lord's work. But that's not the responsibility. It's the love of Christ that must constrain you. Paul states here that if Philemon does choose to return Onesimus to Paul, then he acknowledges all things will be blessed and God is still glorified. I love this. One man put it this way. By Paul's example, Paul shows that ministers are to draw disciples by love rather than to drag them by force. Look, the ministry of the church is not dragging people kicking and screaming against their will. You have been, giving, been given a free will. Although people accuse us of saying you don't believe in any free will, that's obviously not what we believe at all. You have a choice. You have a choice to choose to serve God and to not to serve God. You have a choice today to not love one another. You have a choice not to be reconciled. You have a choice to not forgive. It's God's Word that says what you are if you don't. It's not my command. It's God's command. So if you're holding on to bitterness against someone who wronged you, 
I can't compel you to forgiveness. The love of Christ ought to compel you to that. I can assure you, you and everybody in this room have offended someone at some point and they forgave you. We're all forgiven people. If you're in Christ, you've been, your sin's been forgiven, but you've been forgiven by someone. And Paul acknowledges that. Verse 15, Paul says, For perhaps he therefore depart, I love this, for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. You may sit back and say, what in the world is Paul talking about? Well, Paul is acknowledging that maybe there's a reason why Onesimus left. We can take comfort in knowing that even those things that were done, that appeared to be done with ill will at, as the motive, with hatred, that in the good providence of God, God turned that situation around to accomplish His purposes. You know, that fugitive ended up under the preaching of Paul by his own bad choice to steal and to flee from his master, yet the providence of God had something else in mind. Folks, I can't tell you, I cannot tell you over the years. I've watched it. We'll see it again. I've watched things where you sit back and you say, there's absolutely nothing good that can come out of what that person just did. And I've seen it over and over again. God's providential hand is in it. And God does something that would not have happened had the ill situation taken place in, in the first place. <laughs> there's no explanation for it. We could say this is a horrible thing that's happened, but look what came out of it. It may have been a bad choice on your part that led you to actually hear the gospel and be converted by the word of God. You might have made a bad choice and yet God's providence, praise God for it, was still there. It accomplishes his purposes. Think about the stories we know in the Bible. Think about the story of Joseph. His brothers hated him. His, his father wasn't even short. His brothers hated him. And in the end of the book of Genesis, in Genesis 50, Paul, uh, Joseph makes the most startling statement. They're afraid he's going to take revenge on them. And what does he say? What you did to me, paraphrase, you meant it for my bad, but God meant it for good. It is only a mature believer who can say that. He was wrongfully imprisoned. He was wrongfully accused. He could have turned around and he's left in prison for two years thinking God doesn't even care. And yet at the end, he said, listen, brothers, what you tried to do for my harm, God meant it for my good. I love what one commentator, Matthew Poole, was one I read frequently. He's a, from years and years ago. And of course, he says Onesimus with regard to... Onesimus had no idea that he was accomplishing the providence and the will of God. But here's what, here's what Poole says on that. He says, Onesimus in departing designed no such thing. But possibly God, in the wisdom of his providence, suffered him, that's Onesimus, to depart from thee and to fall into theft that he might upon that occasion come to a quicker sense and conviction of sin and see in need of a Savior. That being turned from sin unto God and having embraced Christ our common Savior, thou mightest receive, love, and embrace him forever. Forever and in this life and in the life that is to come 
so long as you both should live. Onesimus ran away from Philemon with evil intention in his heart. Philemon was deprived of his servant, perhaps of goods, but in all of this, God was sovereignly working his will. Onesimus ran directly into the arms of Paul and under the preaching of the gospel. Philemon not only received back a servant, but a brother beloved for all eternity. Had Onesimus never left in anger, he would not have returned in joy. Something to think about. Something to consider. It's an amazing story of once an unprofitable servant, but now profitable. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer. We'll forego our final hymn for the sake of time this morning. But let's pray together and continue to pray for the service to follow.